All right, good morning, everybody. Good morning. So, uh, and I don't know, maybe this would put somebody on the spot. Um, so we had, what, 73, 73 last week, 65 this week. So only eight people came for the food. That's pretty impressive. Uh, so uh, uh, that means that the, there, there probably aren't many of you here today that weren't here last week. There may be some. Uh, so we'll just, uh, we're going to kind of do a quick review of some of the things Dad talked about and then move forward. Uh, I think one of the things that became pretty apparent as, as Dad kind of went through his chart um, is that our, if your topic's heaven, uh, there's lots of different ways you can look at it. You can look at it from a timeline standpoint. Uh, you can look at it from, uh, you know, how does that affect me standpoint. You can look at, you know, chronology as you kind of go through scripture and, and, and you're enriched by looking at it from a, a number of different angles. So with that said, uh, just to drill home a few basic concepts. Um, first of all, the concept that heaven is a place, right? Uh, not a concept, not a, um, an elevated level of consciousness, right? Not a, um, an emptying of all of your previous psychological hangups like our Scientology folks would, would like us to believe. Heaven is a place and it's a place now. And so the text for that, uh, there are several, um, but just briefly, Acts 1.11 uh, says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. In other words, guys, why are you looking at some other place? Because your work is in this place, but... The place where Jesus is now, he will leave and come back to this place. It's all about location. So heaven is a place. And then in John uh, chapter 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You know this passage, believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, so they are there now. If it were not so, would I have not told you? And I go to prepare a place for you. So this is a place. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, and where I am, you may be also. Where? That's where. Um, so heaven is a place, and heaven is a place now. Um, so thinking about the concept of heaven, we know that uh, where we are now is not heaven. Um, so it is somewhere else. It is a place uh, beyond this one. And um, we have uh, the, the concept, okay, um, what about through history, what does that mean? Because the Old Testament talks about the heavens and so forth. And so in Hebrews chapter uh, 11, we have word of all these uh, saints, these Old Testament saints that, that uh, have kind of um, come through. And, and when those things were written, where are they? And even Further, before Jesus himself was resurrected, where were they then? And in one of Jesus' passages, and this is Matthew 22, as he is corresponding to the Sanhedrin, and of course they're trying to ask him things and trip him up and so forth, uh, he says, I am the God of Abraham, 
he's quoting, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So those Old Testament saints who were looking forward to the Messiah in faith um, were living in heaven prior to Jesus' resurrection. Um, when Jesus spoke to the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. Some people um, imagine that Old Testament heaven might have had an upgrade, so to speak, when Jesus was resurrected. As Jesus is there in his resurrected state, and, and the, the, there, may be a, there may have been extra benefits that those Old Testament saints accrued at that point um, and and then as and and throughout the last two millennia all those who have um, been believers in Christ who have entered heaven um, since the resurrection of Christ are now joining those uh, saints um, until the next phase happened which we'll talk in a moment now if you were here last week and uh, this was talked about as intermediate heaven. And Dad read the analogy, was that Alcorn with the flights? That, uh, you know, you're, you're a pauper on the streets of Miami, uh, you inherit a wonderful um, uh, beachfront house in Santa Barbara, California, and in the meantime, you have to go through Dallas. And I was sharing this with Mary, and she said, well, I'm not sure I want to be in Dallas. <laughs> but, but Dallas is probably really cool uh, right now. But, but, uh, uh, we're just passing through, right? We're just passing through this intermediate heaven, which is where all the saints are uh, now, and 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 those that our friends and acquaintances who have uh, died as believers um, are are there as well, and uh, no doubt it is uh, amazing. Second uh, Corinthians um, five eight says. Uh, this is Paul saying, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. He says in Philippians, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, I will rejoice. And he goes on and says, verse 21, this is Philippians 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, yet which I shall choose, I can't tell, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He didn't picture a period of time where he would depart this life and not be immediately with Christ. That's not the way Paul thought, and he was very consistent in his writing. Um, the writer of Hebrews, which, speaking of Hebrews, you guys are aware of the Jeopardy controversy? No. So there was the, was it the Tournament of Champions recently in Jeopardy? And there was a question put forward about uh, the writer of Hebrews. And somebody put Paul, and it was counted correct. And the guy who didn't put Paul was counted wrong and thereby lost the match. It was tragic. Uh, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Anybody who says they know are just guessing. And I, that was grievous to me. Um, that that was marked wrong. In any event, the writer of Hebrews, whoever he or she may be, um, says um, regarding 
heaven and said, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriads of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God and so forth, um, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Right? So those who have the spirits, those who have been made righteous, um, having, having died as believers, they're all there because of Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. So uh, there is heaven is a place. When believers die, we go uh, to heaven and join up with all the saints who have gone before us. Uh, and, and then what happens? Well, for that, let's go ahead and turn to uh, Revelation. Uh, we're going to kind of walk backwards. Um, just by way of orientation, go ahead and start with Revelation chapter 22. We have to talk a little bit about timetable now. So we know just by way of level setting, uh, the book is called Revelation uh, because this is uh, where God has revealed uh, something to uh, John that uh, we would have no way of knowing anything else except because God chose to tell us, right? Uh, in chapter 22, we see a lot of teaching about what the new Jerusalem will look like. If you flip back to chapter 21, you'll hear it's kind of zooming out. You'll say, well, uh, now we hear about a new heaven and a new earth. But before we deal with that, we need to talk a little bit about chapter 20, which is talk, talking about the millennium, the thousand years. Verse 1 of chapter 20, it says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain, and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So what do we do with this thousand years? And this is where there have been a lot of um, Christians, uh, you know, in, in the full sense of the word, people who are trusting only in Jesus to get to heaven. Um, but there have been some differences of opinion as to what to do or how to think of this thousand years. And so you've heard these terms probably through the years, but it has to do with um, uh, their labels. Some people say that they are amillennialist, a meaning not. Right? So some people think that there's not going to be a literal thousand years. Uh, some people think that um, uh, with respect to the second coming of Christ, that that will come after this millennium. Those people would be called post-millennialists. And then there are some people who believe that Christ will come before the second coming of Christ will happen before this millennium, and these will be premillennialists. Okay, um, so 
I'm not sure that I'm going to do justice to any of these, <laughs> but briefly, the, the post-millennial list is the easiest because they basically say um, the power of the gospel is going to become better and better and better, and eventually things will become good enough that the work, you know, all, everyone who needs to hear will have heard, and then Jesus will come back. This is kind of hard to justify when you also have to grapple with, okay, now where does the tribulation come in, which happens before this, and I'm skipping that a little bit. But uh, I don't think there are a lot of people who are post-millennialists, but there are some. The amillennialists, uh, of which there are quite a few, say that this thousand years is uh, figurative, that it doesn't mean a literal thousand years, but it's figuratively referring to uh, the age of the church, that uh, because of the presence of the church, um, the power of Satan is diminished, and the gospel can go forth, and uh, we don't really need to look for any literal thousand years. Um, so those are the amillennialists. Um, many of us, um, Dad and myself included, would be premillennialists, saying that there will be a thousand-year reign because if you go through Scripture, it appears that Scripture really does talk about a time better than we have now, but not the ultimate end. So, by reference, um, Isaiah 65, it says, No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth will die at the age of 100, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be thought accursed. So has there ever been a time when you didn't have some infants that didn't die? Has there ever been a time when every infant would make it to the full age that they were intended? I would say no. So, and there are other passages that um, this, um, uh, also in Isaiah, uh, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the young lion will be the fatling together, and the little boy will lead them, and the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and you know, all this sort of thing. So here we have a lot of created creatures. And there's debate as to how many created creatures are going to be in the ultimate new heaven. But at least here, this seems like a lot of things that we would have in common here on earth. But the behavior between these things that would normally be at odds with each other and everything's in harmony there, that just seems really different from any other point in time, and I think most people would say this would be referring to the millennium. So, uh, once you kind of decide about this millennium, um, whether it's going to happen um, uh, after or before uh, the second coming of Christ, um, then that's where a lot of people get to this point of, okay, well, where does the tribulation come in? And Dad talked about this briefly, but um, he mentioned dispensationalism. 
um, which I think the, the number of folks who are in the pre-millennial camp is really big across many great Orthodox faiths and, and many great scholars who are trying to be true to the inerrancy of Scripture. Um, premillennialism has its roots to the very earliest church fathers um, after, uh, you know, after the canon was complete and so forth. Um, dispensational theology is fairly new, which by itself should probably make it a little suspect, right? <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. But, um, but it is certainly um, uh, lives comfortably. It's a minor... Uh, it's a minor difference of those opinions. Where it kind of differs, I think, in flavor is that dispensational premillennialists or pre-trib rapture premillennialists um, would think that there's kind of a carve-out of how God's going to deal with the Jews uh, as an entity. In other words, direct fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, and we've talked a lot about the remnant of the Jews and so forth, thinking that there is a, that, that, that really does mean you know, this, this family tree of the Jews, that God is going to fulfill that in a special way, whereas other people would look at those promises more broadly as being fulfilled in the church. And that's a very oversimplification, but... Um, I, I don't really care <laughs> that much about them. Um, it does, you know, it, it does have some ramifications. I'm not saying it doesn't, but um, both of those, I think there's just great godly folks that, that might come down on either side of that. But where we are now, if we're at this millennial reign, um, if you believe as a premillennialist, then that's where... Um, we would be um, reigning with Christ on the earth um, and that there would be a lot of uh, people who had not yet died. Uh, people who maybe, some of who had come to Christ and some who didn't. And millennium uh, discussion is certainly beyond the scope of what we're doing today. But that does take us, we'll go forward now, to chapter 21 where we have this new heaven and new earth. So again, we're in the Revelation uh, speak, a, a, apocalyptic, apocryphal type of language. Verse one of chapter 21 of Revelation says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall, be there, neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Amen, Amen is right. Amen. <laughs> um, and he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Um, regardless of where you land 
on almost any of these peripheral topics. I think we can all agree that these four verses are just absolutely amazing and give us hope that, um, that all will be made right. You know, I, there is a reason that uh, we like the movies that we like, that we like the books that we like. You know, uh, I tell people in my office all the time to keep me posted on how things are going. And, and a lot of times I'll tell them, say, look, I am a sucker for a happy ending. I love a happy ending. We all do, right? I think we, we, we want that because the happy ending means that all the pieces are put together. There's justice that has happened. There is, you know, all the goodness that you want in resolution. We, we want things to be resolved. And we get all of that here. All the bad stuff is gone. And it says, behold, I'm making all things new. But let's go back to this first verse. It says, that I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So what do we mean by this first heaven and first earth? Well, as you might expect, you can roll up your sleeves and speculate, and you could probably speculate all morning over a whole pot of coffee. And no matter what you put down on your little napkin notes, you could probably find a commentator to agree with you. You might find two or three. Um, you would find plenty that would disagree with you, no matter what you pick, because uh, there's a lot of... So what does it mean, new heaven and new earth? Within, you know, the, the... If we define our scope to, you know, evangelical, Protestant, Bible-believing folks, even within the tent that we have chosen to dwell, um, some people believe that this is a brand new everything, that that there are some passages in the Bible that talk about and the, the old will pass away or the old will be destroyed. They think that means, boom, this earth is just gone. Will not exist, period. And they say when it means destroyed, they means destroyed. And when it says new heaven and new earth, they mean brand new earth. Okay? And one of the truth text they say is that it says and the sea was no more and you know I mean this is like um, John MacArthur believes this uh, pretty conservative guy probably hasn't made the uh, perfect steps in recent years um, but uh, but theologically you know has generally been a pretty reliable source says nope there's no sea the earth is 60, 70% water. We're water-based life forms, so therefore uh, our resurrected bodies are just going to be a whole new science system and, and, um, and, and this, we will have everything brand new. There are other people who um, we and Dad and I have... Um, kind of been following uh, Pastor Bobby's lead to uh, look at um, the general concepts in uh, Wayne Gruden's uh, Systematic Theology book, who says um, that he believes Scripture supports a, a, a basically a resurrected earth, uh, an earth that is put back to the way God originally intended, 
uh, a redeemed earth, you might say. And the passage that he would use in support there um, a couple of them. Um, Romans 8, 21 through 22, it says that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole earth, the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth until now. Um, and then it goes on to talk about this um, Verse 19, I should have gone back. It says, um, for the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. So um, some people say, well, if this earth, which was originally, you know, in Genesis says, and it was good, that if it all gets blown away, doesn't that somehow give Satan a victory in the end? And I think he kind of has a point. You know, that's kind of an inference. You don't, but... Uh, this concept that God is so amazing at taking something horrible and making it arguably even better than it was originally, um, how much more does that show his glory? And so uh, I think there may be a new earth that, and I kind of like the the happy ending feel of the redeemed earth rather than the obliterated and rebuilt from scratch earth. Uh, but there are people on both sides of that, and I, I want you to know that. Um, and there are, you know, when the sea was no more, I mean, there are explanations about that. Uh, we know that prior to the flood, um, things were different, right? Um, that uh, the rain was, was, that was new, you know, so there were a lot of things pre- flood that uh, that lead me to believe that God could still um, that God could still have water on a new earth um, the other thing is that some people see the word sea there and the sea was no more somewhat metaphorically because in scripture uh, the sea is often and even earlier in revelation the sea is often seen as a place where the sea monsters live and so forth and we know that the Jews weren't really fond of the ocean and um, just in their mythology and everything, they, this was like a marker for something bad. So that may be why that, that language was, was used. Um, one interesting concept that MacArthur said, he said, all of heaven now, the now heaven that we have, he said, all of that is encapsulated in the new Jerusalem which is now in heaven. And so when heaven comes, when the new Jerusalem comes down, which we'll see in a moment, that that's when all of heaven comes to earth. So well, that's kind of interesting. I had not, like I said, you can speculate quite a bit. And it might even be different if you're speculating over a cup of coffee in the morning versus some other beverage later in the day. I don't know. It may, <laughs> you, might, you might get different answers. And maybe the truth somewhere in between. I don't know. Uh, verse 5. Behold, I'm making all things new. He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. 
And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. Go on down verse nine. Then came one of the angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me and says, come, I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates, 12 angels and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel and on the east and so forth. Um, and we have dimensions down verse 15. Uh, city lives four square. Its length is the same as its width and so forth. And uh, dad's talked about this off and on that um, we're looking at if we do the translation, uh, an area of 1,500 square miles, um, which is a lot of territory. Um, and verse 22, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. And that's why some people say, well, you know, maybe our whole universe will be different if there's no sun and no moon. And so... It, you know, it's hard to even understand all of this. Um, the only light we'll have will be the glory of God. Verse 24, by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and so forth. So, um, and there are people, you know, what does it mean by these nations and the kings and so forth? And you can go through every one of these things. But suffice it to say that um, all of us have this waiting for us and the the um, the mystery is is always going to be there the mystery is always going to be there and we always wonder about it um, we may get into this a little bit next week with your questions but you know off and on especially over the last 10 or 20 years there have been people who have claimed to have um, episodes where they feel like they saw heaven or maybe were transported to heaven, and, you know, these popular books. And, and, um, and that interests us. Um, some people probably give them more weight than others. Um, you should weigh all of those accounts by scripture, of course. Um, but uh, we're all interested in that. But one of the, the, the biggest things that we all have to remember is that we have the ability to now affect what things are like later. Um, there's going to, haven't talked about, you know, there's going to be a, a judgment seat where our works are going to be judged. It doesn't affect our salvation, but it could affect our reward. Um, but then we're told to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And it's pretty amazing if you think about it that the things we do now could literally be making deposits that we can get somewhere else. Um, that's crazy. Um, but I believe it. And so um, as, we, as we think about heaven, it probably floats in and out of our consciousness. But I think we always need to be aware of the fact that just like we talk about Old Testament prophecy had a near impact and a far impact, 
that the things we do here on earth have a near impact and a far impact uh, for us individually as well. So um, I think you can't help but, but just look at the topic of heaven just a little bit and come away with some big ideas, and that is that God has it all in control, that God has said he's going to always be faithful to himself and to his word, and that uh, we can trust that, and that uh, he gives us, throughout scripture, he really wants to give us hope that there is more than what we're in now. You know, he wants to tell us there are better days out there. I am going to come through. I am going to make it right. And I think that has helped millions of people through the years with suffering. There's some fascinating work that's been done on the view of the afterlife uh, through the lens of um, uh, the slaves uh, who were brought over and how did they endure such harsh suffering. And their theology of the afterlife was way ahead of probably where a lot of us are because how else do you get through you know, untold suffering? As you know that this is, this is just a, a wisp of what's to come, right? And so uh, I think that's what we're all looking forward to, and we certainly look forward to your questions. Um, uh, I heard one time uh, a guy said, uh, what's heaven going to be like or in terms of when we're there? What do we think about this life? And we, we wonder about that, right? You know, are we going to have this or that? I, I read an interesting theory about um, what about our ailments? I'll stick this in real quick. Um, well, we know that Jesus' scars were on his resurrected body, right? Um, this guy's theory was, well, scars that you received that were devoted to the Lord might still be there. So the scar of the martyr is it might glow with gold. But scars that were there because of the impact of the world, death and disease, might be fixed. So the amputated leg might grow back and the diseased brain, of course, may whole again. And I thought that was an interesting way. So people have speculated a lot. But um, anyway, we look forward to your questions. Um, uh, one person said this life uh, from the view of um, uh, heaven might be like the first day of third grade. So, do you remember the first day of third grade? Well, kinda, maybe a little. I guess it was fine, you know. And, you know, we might look back on this life as that way. Yeah, you know, it was fine, I guess. But wow, this is this is something totally different. So. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that we can trust you. We thank you that you've given us words of hope. We thank you that you've given us a savior through whom we can even think about being part of your family pray in his name that uh, you'd continue to lead us as we try to bring as many to the faith as we can. Amen. Thanks, everybody.